Good evening, I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And um, I'm kind of excited about the show tonight because we have a lot to talk about. Some of this stuff has just come down today. Some of it we have been working on for a while. Um, and we're just, we're gonna talk about some of the things going on with the state, with the governor, um, a bill that just came up today that they kind of snuck in a little thing that's gonna make any of you who have a PPP loan, if, if it passed, it would make it so that you uh, get to be taxed on that in the state of Oregon. Thank you, state of Oregon. We really appreciate that. And, but first, before we get to any of that, I wanna tell you about something. Our sponsor is Priority One Heating and Air Conditioning. And they're doing this can and bottle fundraiser. Um, they, every year, they are super big on Relay for Life. And that's how I actually met them as a client. I was doing some stories for them, some shows about their Relay to Life team. And they're really, they're really serious about this. So they're doing a can and bottle fundraiser on Saturday, June 5th. You can bring all your cans and bottles and drop them off at Priority One Heating and Air Conditioning. The address is on there. Um, we do have this posted on our Facebook page. You can find out more about that. They also will do bottle pickup and Alicia's phone number's on there and who to contact. Uh, so you can be a part of helping their team and also helping the people in our community, our local community who are struggling with cancer. You can help them by being a part of that. So that's just one of the many things uh, Priority One Heating and Air Conditioning does. And uh, that's why they're one of our clients because I love people who support people with cancer since I'm a survivor. That's kind of a, a big thing for me. So we're going to talk about a couple of issues here today. Um, first one I called, oh, probably three weeks ago. When we started hearing about all these businesses saying, I started seeing signs pop up in, in restaurants down on the coast in Yahats and saying they're looking for workers, they're looking for people, um, and nobody can find any employees. And I started going, what is that all about? So I called a friend of mine who has a friend who is actually a, in the House of Representatives, Daniel. And Daniel, do you say a Bonner? Is that how you say it? Uh, Bonham. 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 Um, I was kept looking at it. I, I, the way I wrote this, it's like I have an ER on the end of it, which is my problem. So, Daniel, um, so where are you from? I live in the Dallas. Okay, so you represent what 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 house oh, district? So, North Central Oregon House District Fifty Nine. It's uh, Wasco, Jefferson, Wheeler, and Northern Deschutes County. So, you did a little research on employment and all that kind of stuff. What is what is going on? And oh, I wanted to say really quickly too, if you people who are watching, if you're a business owner and you're looking for somebody to fill a job, post your name and everything on here and let us know because we will put that out there for people uh, to see. And if, if there's somebody out there looking for a job, maybe uh, you'd be the, a, a proper match for them. So, Daniel, what, what do we see going on? Because it looks like we're paying people to stay out of work. Well, I think that's exactly right. When you look around the state, I, I don't know any street you can drive down where you're not seeing help wanted or now hiring signs, uh, advertisements on all the job classification sites. I mean, people are looking to hire right now and not just minimum wage work. I'm talking about all wage spectrums. I mean, people have jobs they need to be uh, filled in manufacturing process and retail environments. Yes, some of the people that were harder hit by COVID shutdown, COVID regulation, the restaurants and uh, and hospitality industry, but but it's across the board. People are looking for work. We had at one point here in Oregon, we had 620,000 people that were on unemployment at one point. Uh, the last report I got from the employment department, we're down to 155,000 people that are still in the system. But of those people, uh, 57% have been on for 40 plus weeks. 
So we've got people that have been out of work, staying off of work. And, and I got to be uh, honest with you, to your question, I think a lot of it has to do with that federal unemployment incentive. It's down to $300. It was at $600, but that's a lot of money to be offering people to, to not work. Is that a week? That's a week. So you're getting $300 on top of what you would qualify for. I mean, in defense of, of people on unemployment, so that's for some people, that's probably more than they've ever made. And you're going, if I'm on a minimum wage job, I'm making more now. I mean, you can't blame them. But in the big picture, um, Oregon is suffering immensely. Well, in Oregon's unemployment system, the way it works is it's a percentage of total, right? So it's 0.125% or 1.25% rather of, of what you earn on a weekly basis or an annualized basis and then drawn back down to the week. Uh, this system was just a flat 600 to begin with. Now it's at 300. But if you think of 600 alone, annualize that, that's $31,000 a year. So down to 300, you're still at, you know, 15, six a year of income for not working. And that's on top of your state employment, unemployment benefit, which at the low end is 8,000 at the high end is 35,000. So you had people potentially making $66,000 originally uh, to not work. Well, and, and I've had people say to me that, because I want to know what the regulation, like, what are they supposed to do? Because what I found is people are saying, yeah, they're, they're taking interviews. They set up interviews for a day. Eight people sign up. Nobody shows up. So do you have to actually to report that or what, what, how does that work? Isn't there, where's the checks and balances to make sure that people are actually going to these jobs? So interestingly, though, when we first came up with this system during the pandemic, we waived that requirement. You don't even have to look for work right now. So the employment department yesterday, um, they just rolled out, I gotta find my notes on this. They just rolled out, they've got a new plan uh, to go back to that where you have to at least be actively looking for work. And this is gonna roll out. I think by July 31st, you have to prove that you're looking for work. But right now, currently, you have not had to even be actively seeking a job. Why not? Isn't that the I, way it works? Again, I mean, that question is is beyond me. I, we've not been able to get a good answer as to why we would incentivize people to not work and then offer uh, no requirement that they be looking for work, especially when, and again, I'm a small business owner, so you know, I still have a hard time identifying as a legislator. I still think of myself as uh, I own a small shop in the Dallas. We've got uh, seven employees plus me. There's eight of us uh, that work the shop. I've had two job openings that have been open for over a year and a half that I've just been unable to fill. I've, I've filled them and then have people quit because they come to work. And even though, you know, you're making at least $15 an hour to start with me and I pay piecework on top of that. So you have the chance to make $25 an hour. People would rather stay at home. And at first there was concerns, legitimate concerns. Like I don't want to be in someone's house and I don't right. want to get people sick. You know, the ad campaign that the governor put forward of don't accidentally kill somebody was effective. I literally lost two employees because of that. People said, I can't go in and fix that uh, gas stove or that pellet stove because I don't want to accidentally kill somebody. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like we're taking all the precautions. People are staying in separate rooms. You're wearing a mask, you're wearing gloves, you're wiping down surfaces. Like we're doing everything to make sure that you won't do that. You're not symptomatic. You don't have a fever. You can do this job safely. And yet people out of an abundance of caution, you know, chose to not work. 
Right. And I understand that childcare is another issue. And I, you know, we give a lot of grace for that because if you, you know, you can't get your kids can't go to school all the time. It's a, it makes it pretty tough. I want to address EMT firefighter 79's question because I hear this all the time and I want to address this. If an employee is making more in unemployment than what their employer is paying them, perhaps they need to get a better wage. I, there are, there's a lumber mill, there's two in Springfield that are offering $50,000 jobs plus all their benefits and they still can't get people in there. So it's not, that's an excuse I hear all the time. And I know that, you know, wages are low, but $15 an hour. And these, that's the, the, the lumber mill jobs are much higher than that because they make $50,000 a year. Um, that doesn't float every, all the time. And I get it. You know what I mean? And, and people, there's people I know that have come to me and they're friends and they're saying, I, I've never made this much money in my life. And I get that. I'm not blaming the people out there. I'm blaming, how did we not think that we were gonna set up a system for failure. And I have friends that went to the coast and were trying to get into restaurants this weekend. It was an hour and a half wait for all of them because they don't have enough staff to do everything. Right. I mean, businesses are closing down two and three days a week, restaurants, because they just simply don't have the people to work there. Um, this is not, in the we, we've lost all vision, it seems like to me, Daniel, for the big picture. So this we've tunnel visioned and now we, we've got to expand this because now isn't the governor on June 1st going to increase the unemployment in Oregon again? Is that more incentive not to go to work? So here's another frustrating conversation. Uh, I will. I promise I'll loop around and answer your question. But okay. we had a conversation over the general state of the trust fund, right? We've got all these claims that are happening. The trust fund had grown to like five billion dollars. Now, what is the trust fund? So people the know. trust fund is the unemployment insurance trust fund. Okay. So all the money that employers are paying in that ultimately pay these uh, uh, claims. And so you get $5 billion in the system during this pandemic, which is like blowing out of the off the charts, any consideration we would ever have for uh, hyper unemployment, right? More people are unemployed today than than were in the Great Depression, or excuse me, the Great Recession in in two thousand eight, two thousand seven, when when the market crashed, housing market, and people were unemployed. Like this has been the greatest draw on unemployment, and the five billion dipped to three point seven nine billion. And so we started to have a conversation about well, what happened to these folks that because of the pandemic were shut down, and yet. They had to lay off employees. So their unemployment percentage that the employer pays, employees don't pay into the system. Employers only pay into the system. Some of them had 3X, 4X. So their 1.2% unemployment percentage that they paid on top of payroll now became 4.7%, 5.3%. And so we started saying, well, shouldn't we reevaluate whether or not that trust fund had ballooned beyond what it was supposed to be? And what is a new minimum baseline that we could drive towards? We have an eight tiered system, not to get too far into the weeds, but there are eight different categories of unemployment uh, level that we apply to uh, businesses on any given year based on where that trust fund is and what we think solvency should be. And so we apply that, that level to employers to pay. And so this eight tiered system, and we reevaluated that to say, where could we drive those numbers to offer some relief to businesses moving forward? We also said that you get a third of this year's liability that you can defer to next year. And then whether or not you were impacted by COVID, we're going to offer some forgiveness there too. So we had this lengthy conversation about what that trust fund could be at its lowest level to maintain solvency. We don't want to see that go insolvent, 
But at the same time, we don't want to see it balloon where all these employers are paying into this system that no one's drawn off of. Right. And they inflated that number of where it could go down to. So they offered us a 10% discount on that eight tiered system. So 5 billion in theory, now granted these numbers are always moving, could become 4.5 billion. When did we have a conversation about this 9% increase? We never did. So well, she's part of the did that on her own. Did that on her own. And she saw well, that we couldn't drive lower because she wanted this number on the back end, this 9% increase she wanted. So we couldn't drive to maybe a $3 billion number that could still allow for solvency of that trust fund and still allow for claims to be paid. And we could mitigate moving forward with that eight tiered system that I talked about. And, and yet she ultimately wanted to offer this increased incentive. I, I don't understand it. I, I, okay, don't. So I want to repeat again, just for people. So they know the forecast in May was for $2.8 billion. That's a $1.1 billion, billion dollar increase. Plus, on top of that, is $2.6 billion coming from the Biden administration. Now, she, now the governor or the, the Senate is looking at this and they snuck this in today at 315. They had a hearing and you said it's just in a hearing. It's not gone anywhere since right. that. Yeah. But what this would do was it's going to tax every business like you and me, not just Nike. This is Little Rick Dancer Media Services and Northwest Burger and Blue Valley Bistro. Anybody who got a PPP loan, right. the state of Oregon has a surplus and now they want to tax our PPP loan. Yeah. That is, and the end, that would take 450 to 100 million dollars from small businesses. What the hell is that? And at the same time, we know the kicker is going to kick. So we want to pump more money into a system that's going to have to be redistributed back to the people. Like I, it doesn't make any sense at all. Well, I mean, the federal government gave us this money because we were hurting and we needed a break. The federal government is not taxing it. And now the state of Oregon, you have a freaking surplus of money, billions, millions of dollars. And you're going to come after little Rick Dancer Media and, and anybody else out there that, that got a PPP loan. Shame on you. That's and absolutely again, disgusting. Why did the federal government give us that money? To, to, so we could get up, so we could survive. And so to we, meet payroll, to yeah. put money back into the economy. Like it kept so many people alive. And right, to so think that you still have that money, like that's the perception, right? Yeah, Is that yeah, you're somehow yeah. sitting on this last bag of cash. How it's much insane. did we each yeah, how much did we each get? Plus, what people don't take into consideration is the time it took people from their businesses to apply for that stuff. My wife was on the phone for days with the banks trying to get that out. So it cost us in the end, whatever we got, it was probably a third or three quarters of that. Because I applied of the with like six different banks, like that yeah. process was a nightmare. And you're hoping against hope that you get this money just so you can keep your business afloat. So you can right. pay your employees. Uh, yeah. And now to think, oh, well, because you've survived, you must still have that cash just sitting in your wallet, ready to pay taxes to the state of Oregon. 
So EMT Firefighter 79, I thought the feds mandated PPP loans were not to be taxed. The federal's not taxing it. This is the states. And I don't think, I don't know, Daniel, what you, what you know, but I don't think many states are doing it. But of course, here in Oregon, where greed is the way that our, our, we tend to, we want to get a big surplus in there so we can pay for something. But um, we're not paying attention to Oregon. And here's the other thing I wanted to bring up to you. I'm hearing from people um, in the know, and these are not just you know, trolls on Facebook, um, that business businesses are not coming to Oregon. They're, they're avoiding us because of all that's going on. The riots, the, this, this PPP, all this kind of stuff. We're getting a reputation where business does not want to locate here. Not only are people moving away, but businesses are, are moving away. I've heard clients coming to Eugene, looking for space and they drive in and they see the condition of our community and they just get on a plane and they leave. Now, big picture, some people can go, people will come on here and they'll go, well, good, then we don't want them. Well, you know what? When you're looking for a job, when this is over and you got to get a job, you will want business in this community. You should be speechless, Nicole. You should be. We should all be speechless. And the good news is this isn't done yet. So we can still let people know in Salem that this PPP loan tax is unacceptable. And, and can I, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm on a little bit of a kick. No, you're good. But, but. Here's the other thing I'm also hearing from people, and I hope they know. Small communities all over Oregon, little city councils around Oregon are doing the same thing Baker did. They're in the process of creating these sanctuary communities because they can't survive this way anymore. And Governor Brown had better look at this. And the, and the Democrats in charge had better look at this because people are get they're done. I mean, this is going, this is to the point where people are going, we can't afford this. You can't keep taking. I'm not rich. I have a business. You can't keep taking stuff from me. Okay. We had, uh, we had a presentation by an economic development organization here in the state of Oregon that came in 2019 and was talking about the current landscape in the state of California. And in the last seven years, they had 9,000 businesses that were looking to either expand or place their corporate headquarters and considered the state of California that didn't end up going there. Right. So either businesses that were there that ultimately moved or that were considering going there that decided not to. Now, that's the report we need for the state of Oregon, to your point. Right. I want to know what that looks like here. And my mentor, when I first came into this building, the gentleman, Greg Barreto, fantastic legislator, wonderful businessman, wonderful family man, just everything I want to be when I grew up, you know, this great guy. And he sat on economic development with us. And every time we would talk about anything, he would say, can't we talk about the business environment here in Oregon? Like right. talk about our tax system. Like we're talking about trying to come up with incentives. You know, at first it was the carrot. Now it's the stick. Like, can't we just change the overall way that we deal with business here in the state of Oregon and make this a more attractive place to do business? But no, every year that we come into the legislature, we come up with more rules. We come up with more regulations. We come up with more tax. We make it unattractive to want to do business here. Like he's well, a multi-state business. He's doing business internationally. And and I haven't talked to him recently, but last time I was talking to him, he was considering moving his business out of state. No, I mean, there's this is a company doing 40 plus million in revenue, manufacturing jobs, the jobs that pay 60 to 70 to $80,000 a year with benefits, the jobs we want. And, and that family's thinking about moving out of the state because they're sick of it. We have lumber mills in, in our area that are moving stuff to South Carolina and North Carolina. And yeah. not only because, not only because of the atmosphere in Oregon, but it's because the people there are really, they're, they're, they're being, they're, they're helping them. 
They're like treating them like a business, not like the devil. And I think if people don't understand sometimes in Oregon, when I was a news anchor, you know, Carolyn Chambers signed my check. And when people say small business, small business, I had no clue. But when you're a business person and you find out in Oregon, you know how much it costs me a month? It's almost like $5,000 a month just to have a business in Oregon. $5,000 of what I make goes just to pay for the little BS that I have to pay. Um, and that's to the state to be a business. And my wife and I are going, gosh, we'd be better off to be under the table doing something else, but that's illegal. Um, it is crazy. So what, what, what do people do, um, Daniel? I mean, you're a representative in, in Salem and you know, you're a business person. What can they do? Cause I feel like we're all screaming into an echo chamber and you know, there's a few people come on and they'll, they throw out the same lines about how people aren't being paid enough, but then they have to get educated with what's going on. What is behind all this? I'll understand. This is, this doesn't, this doesn't look like Oregon. I, you know, for me, what I've come down to is that it is about elections at the end of the day. And I know you had Christine Drazen and Shelly Bossart Davis on here talking about redistricting and a uh, wonderful show that you put together. Uh, Mr. Dancer, that was a good one. And that's the next big fight, right? Is how do we, how do we draw lines in the state of Oregon that allow for uh, some competition for some fairness in an election process? I mean, if you go back to the 1990s, Oregon was, governed by a Republican legislature uh, to the extent that it became a supermajority. Bill Bradbury drew lines in 2001, and since then, Democrats have picked up seats and worked their way by morphing those very maps in 2011 into a supermajority now. And, yeah. and I think the maps are gerrymandered. We need to get people to wake up and understand that. That's why I've been pushing for that independent commission. Man, let's get the job. Why would a legislator be allowed to choose their voters? Like we should have an independent commission drawing these maps and, and making those arguments uh, outside of a political process. And this building is absolutely political. Make no mistake. We will we will do our best effort to draw lines that are fair and we will follow the rules and the guidelines. But ultimately, it will be politicians under the current law that are going to draw those maps. Right. And the, and the problem is, if it doesn't happen, then the secretary of state and she's already gone to the Supreme Court and got slapped um, right. for trying to work around the process. So this is you guys, seriously, this is the single biggest issue in Oregon right now is redistricting. And you are 100 percent right, because I ran for secretary of state and I had to study up on this stuff. And Bill Bradbury is a friend of mine. I went to his wedding in Coos Bay to he and Katie Iman when they got married. So I know the man. But when I was asking the debate, who is the most unfair secretary of state, Bill's name rose to the top because he he drew those lines. So areas that are rural go into Portland, 15 yeah. or so different areas all the way out so that those white, they just wash away all of all the, anybody else's opinion. And that's done all over the state. My district, I live in the country and all these country people were tied into South Eugene and the and the University of Oregon. Right. Well, that's not like we're. You know what I mean? We're not we don't have the same ideas and thoughts. It doesn't make them bad people or us better people. It's just that you're supposed to be with like people so that you have districts that represent people. And and, and if this is not done fairly, it, it's going to be there should. And, and, and the other thing I want to point out, too, just so people don't get on this. Oh, Rick, you hate Democrats. I don't like any politicians. Not I, I don't mean that to you, Daniel, but I don't like that whole idea of politics. But here's the deal. Phil Keesling, also a Democrat. Secretary of State prior to Bill Bradbury drew the lines the last time fairly, yeah. and he was blackballed 
by his own party when he tried to run for governor because he did that. That is my favorite Secretary of State right there. Because my he brother Kevin, Republican, poli sci major at U of O, worked on Phil Kiesling's campaign. Really? Yeah, he's a great guy, and he he had he still had he still looked at Oregon like Mark Hatfield, like Wayne yeah. Morris, like those old time Tom McCall. Uh, Vic Atia, those politicians who were looking at not what the party wants. They aren't a party, but what's good for Oregon? And I wrote a blog about this and everybody took it to, a lot of people took it the wrong direction. Like it was, oh, that's because you're a white man. You know, we, oh yeah, well, it, you know, everything I think is because I'm a white man. No, I understand this system and we've got to get past this. Don't you think, Daniel? Well, I think at some point too, we have to have a conversation of the free market and and what what this system of governance, self-governance actually means. You know, the last guy to talk about the nation in a way that I really just resonated with was Ronald Reagan, right? Like he talked about what it meant to be a capitalist. He talked about free market enterprise and whose responsibility it was to uh, advance in life. It's your responsibility, right? Like it's my responsibility. It's It's in this environment, this session, the state, according to the supermajority, should be in charge of everything, educating your kids from cradle to grave. Like they want to touch you in every aspect of your life. And at the end of the day, I, I don't think that's what's best for you or for the state of Oregon or for America in general. I think that you are the best determinant of your outcome financially, uh, socially, however you want to look at it, that you should govern yourself. And, and uh, these conversations about what the free market capitalist system has done. It's created more wealth for more people than any system or form of economic system in, in the history of the world. Like the United States has created a larger middle class, more people have wealth, upward mobility is still achievable. There was one thing that I, I found fascinating, especially in this session, we're talking about race quite a bit, right? I don't know, there's a rules meeting where I don't get called a racist five or six times just because I am a white man. But there was a video with a high school teacher that had people step forward, right? It was a, we're gonna do a race, a hundred yard race. And for everything I say, if you've got two married parents, if both your parents uh, have a college education, if you were raised in a family unit that never divorced, if you attend church on a regular, there were a bunch of things that allowed you to take a step forward, right? And at the end of the day, he said, now look around, some of you are at the 50 yard line, some of you are still at the starting line. and. There's a lot of motion as these kids kind of considered their station in life. But the reality of that analogy, though, Rick, and you and I both know this, is someone that was at that starting line could still beat someone at the 50-yard line in this system today. If you run hard enough, you can still achieve. The American dream is still alive and well. I've heard some, so many people that have moved to this country started with nothing, right? I came here, I had $20 in a plastic sack, and next thing you know, I got a job at a uh, uh, knife company here in in Oregon, and I was making this much money, and I went out in 2008 when the market crashed and I bought a home, and I had a couple of roommates to help me pay my mortgage, and next thing you know, I've got this home that's worth $380,000. I've got the mortgage paid off, and I'm gainfully employed. I moved from Nepal with nothing, essentially, and and that dream of America is still here and alive today. And yet we're looking at that analogy with the teacher and saying for everything that we wanted you to take a step forward, we actually want to take that away and have you step back. Why would we not be talking to the people that are still on the zero yard line saying, how do you and the next generation take those steps forward yourself? What are the things that we need to do to provide you in your life so that you can for yourself 
make sure that your kids start at the 50 yard line, to make sure that the next generation doesn't have the disadvantage that you feel like you had. And how do we engage with you today so that you can take control of your own life and get to that 100 yard line before the kid that started at 50? Right. And you're not saying there's not inequities because there, and, and we don't Absolutely. need to help people. We definitely do. Um, but I think in terms of big picture in Oregon, it's like we need to get back to this is my point in this thing yesterday that just turned into a crazy talk. But it was like, you know, what we what, what Oregon used to do. And I don't want to go back and be Oregon in the 50s because I know we had a lot of issues. But I'm saying that Oregon where a Wayne Morse can support a Mark Hatfield in a run for the Senate and they're separate parties because they both believe the same thing about the Vietnam War when 70% of Oregonians were supporting the Vietnam War. So, but we don't do that anymore. So where we could come together as Republicans, Democrats, this growing party in the middle, which is the non-affiliates, which is gonna take over both the Republican and Democratic party because everybody's so sick of it. Right. We gotta start having these conversations again and stop discounting people. You know, just because you don't fit in or you don't fit, and I think that's turning on people too, because it's not, you can't, you can't claim to be for the rights of people and then discount a group of people. It doesn't work that way. So I, I think Oregon needs to stop, start talking about this. And that's why we're doing these shows. That's why I thank you for coming on here on the unemployment uh, thing and then letting me add this other stuff in here. But I really encourage people to, um, to get involved with this. It's SB 137-2. And it's sneakily added into that. Sneakily is not a word, but I made it up. Um, they they put, it, put it in here at the last minute and then put the little, the little hearing up at 315 and people were rushing to get testimony in. But you as a person in this state need to write your congressional or your, your state representative and your senator. I'm sorry, my train's going. Hey, it happened during the Betsy Johnson episode too. So I, you know, I'm in good company. Every day at five thirty. Don't do you just love Betsy Johnson or what? She's the best. So oh my, I'm going to she... plug my podcast. I've got a podcast, and I just I did an episode with Betsy a couple of years ago. Wonderful episode. I just did one with Peter Courtney, where he talked about a lot of what you were talking about about what we've lost how the parties used to work together and how you used to vote for one another. And he had a conversation with Vera Katz and I'm blanking on the other rural legislator's name. Um, but uh, there was a, a rural cowboy kind of uh, big gentleman. I can't remember his name to save my life right now. Darn it. But uh, he tells a good story. It's worth a listen if you track okay. it down. Um, but so, uh, so is it under Daniel Bonham? Is that it's is under it, is Main Street politics with Daniel Bonham? Okay. And it's you just know, a bunch of conversations with legislators. I started it because I got into this and and I think people have a misconception of who should serve. And we're all just random citizens. You know, this is a part-time gig. And so you can have a background in law, you can have a background in dentistry, and you can come serve. You can have a background as uh, you know, a homemaker and, and come do this job and, and we need your perspective. And so that kind of started this idea of having a podcast to just interview people and say, where were you from? Who should do this? How did you get into it? And tell us about yourself. And anyway, it's a, the Senator Courtney conversation was a lot of fun. Well, so when we're done here, um, have your staff put in the comment section that information, like a link, and then people can go find that. So again, now is the unemployment money that is, a, that is, a, is going up on June 1st, right? Yes. And that's according to the governor. So, Mandy, that's your question. Dakota, what a PPP is, is a, it was a loan given to small businesses. You had to 
you know, tell them everything about your toenails and anything else that happened, but um, it's given, and now they're going to tax it. There, there's a bill that would tax it. It's not a done deal, but there's a Senate bill that would try to tax that. Yeah, it was um, a paycheck protection program. And, and the good news is though, for those of you that are collecting money on the cat tax and paying that, it is uh, confirmed by the revenue department that it is not commercial activity. So for sure, it is not going to be taxed under the cat tax consideration. This consideration would be on your income tax, which is still a terrible idea. But um, you already have a fan, Penny, or she, she said, I did hear that podcast. It was good. So, see, oh, my God, you're, you're everywhere. You're spreading out all over the world. Um, OK, so two, my mom and Penny. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get you some more here. Hey, thank you so much, uh, Daniel, for making the time. Rick, uh, one last thing. You go for it. Hey, email your representatives, your senators, the governor, uh, your school board members. Kids need to be back in school in September. This absolutely has to happen. Well, didn't that got that got killed, didn't it? So the bill's still alive. Uh, we tried oh, to pull it straight to the floor to get a vote on it. We've never even got a hearing in the rules committee. Uh, so uh, Barbara Smith Warner, the chair of rules, uh, if you want to send her a note saying, please hear that bill, uh, $33.99 on getting kids back to school in September, it'd be great to at least have a public hearing on it and have that conversation. Because I think the supermajority needs to hear from parents that they want their kids back in the classroom. Because, you know, if you hear it on the news, it sounds like it's done. And so I think people got that. So it's not dead. It's still there. And you guys got it to the House floor or you need to get it to the House floor? Well, we tried. There is a procedural move where we can literally just pull a bill out of committee and take it straight to the floor for a vote. And the Democrats voted against bringing it to the floor. So we tried to have a vote on the floor on it without a hearing, without a work session, because they won't schedule one. And so what we need is for people to put some political pressure on the chair of that committee and of the supermajority party. The Speaker of the House needs to hear from you that you want your kids back in school and you want that bill heard and worked. Oh, you guys, and Alicia just came on. She's with Priority One and it's just a bottle and can drive, redeemable containers only. So a bottle and can drive. So it's like your pop, your beer, you know, don't bring stuff that you can't return. That's not going to help. <laughs> the, the dump won't even take that. Um, okay. So you made me think of something and I was trying. So folks, if, if you want the schools to reopen, there's still an opportunity here to do your civic duty and let these folks know that you want this thing to be heard. Um, because, you know, there's, you're fighting against three letters, O, E, and an A. And you have to get your word out there that you uh, this is what you want, if that's what you want. And then again, if you don't want your kids back in school in the fall, then you should contact your representatives and say, I want my kids let, kept out of school. This is, you know, and the only reason, you know, Daniel is talking about the Democrats as one position, because I'm, I'm like one of these guys. I don't care who it is. I just we have a super majority now. So it is the Democrats that are blocking this. Um, and that's why we're, we're just laying it out there for what it is. Um, I'm also learning, Daniel, that I just I can explain this until I'm blue in the space that people that want to think what I think. And that's what they think. They're just going to think it. <laughs> I can't clarify anything for them. Yeah. Sir, thank you so much for um, visiting and, and talking with us about this stuff. Oh, one other little factoid I wanted to throw in there for people, too. When we're talking about unemployment, um, at least 11 states in, in that I know of have taken away the extra three hundred dollars a month. And they've in Montana, what they did 
was they made it so you have to work a month and then you get a $1,200 bonus. So they're going to give you that money, but you have to work a month and then you get that money. And so there's creative ways that other states are doing this. Um, and we're the state that's giving another increase and our businesses are struggling to get people in there. So, um, oh, you know, the one thing I didn't talk to you about, vaccine passports. Oh, yeah. Do you think that's coming? So first and foremost, let me tell you this. I've got a bill that kind of mirrors what Montana did. Idaho did the same thing, a $1,200 incentive. And we're working out the details of how we roll that out because you got to have an agency that can administer it, right? So uh, working with uh, WorkSource to try and come up with a plan, uh, trying to identify a funding source as well because you can't just use the PUA benefit and, and give it as a $1,200 incentive to go back to work. So we are working on that bill. There, there is, I, I discovered that there's 2.6 billion coming from the Biden administration and there's 1.1 billion that's already in there. Hey, you and I are on the same page. And you know what, that's that's my money already. So I would be more than happy to give my, any of share of mine to people who are not working right now to help them get the incentive to go back to work. So you have my permission uh, to use any of those funds that are mine to help someone who is unemployed. And so, um, so now let's go to the, I, I'm sorry, we're going a little long, but I, I really yeah, want to keep pushing back on this vaccine passport idea. We, uh, we've sent a letter. I sent a letter to the governor the other day saying you got this wrong. Uh, we've been tweeting at her. We've been sending her letters. The Republican caucus just sent another letter, you know, asking businesses, especially to get in the middle of this is absolutely wrong. You know, my employees and in fairness, our customers were mostly polite about the mask mandate, right? We, we only had a few folks that said, you know, don't tell me what to do and I'm not going to wear a mask. It, most people said, okay, you know, I forgot it in the car and we had our own that we supplied. But but to ask somebody for a vaccine passport is so deeply personal. And then because it's a sheet of paper with your name and some scribbles on it, do I have to ask you for your ID afterwards to make sure that you are you, you know, that you didn't just print a vaccine pass? Like, so if there's a level of trust involved, that the vaccine passport that you present is a valid, authentic passport and it's yours, then why not just have the level of trust as a sign that says, if vaccinated, no mask. If not vaccinated, please wear a mask. And I'm going to trust you, which is what Idaho did. It's what California did. It's what Washington did. Jay Ensley just put that out this last week that we're going to do the honor system. Like, why the heck would we not do that? It's so pragmatic. It's responsible. And it shows a level of trust in our fellow uh, Oregonians. Well, isn't this kind of a slippery slope, too? Because if you're going to go to a Blazer game, and we're going to have the, the, the vaxxed people here and the non-vaxxed people here. So when does that end? So do we start having vax sections and vax restrooms and non-vax restrooms? And I mean, are we going back to something ridiculous? I, I, don't, I don't understand. It's, it scares. I don't know why this doesn't scare people more. I think it's frightening because. Well, isn't other anybody today, right? Isn't this something that we have learned we shouldn't do? We're letting basketball players play basketball, but then we got the kids that want to come in and do band. And we're saying, well, wait a second, because you're you know, blowing on your inside or there's too much. But we can't create an environment for the band members to play, but the basketball players can play. Like, why is one activity better than the I don't know why we're making any of these decisions and pitting Oregonians against each other in any way, shape or form. I, I just think it's all wrong. Well, to me, it's, you know, you divide and conquer. So if you can keep dividing people, which I don't understand why we wanted, we're going to, we want to divide Oregonians. I don't get that, but I want us to come back together, which is why 
we point out these things because, you know, I'm not anti-Brown, I'm not anti-Democrat, I'm not anti-Republican. I'm a guy who's anti-BS. And when if you're over 12 and you want a vaccine today, you can get one. Right. And if if you if you're somebody who is is vaccinated and you're still worried about it, then I think you should continue to wear your mask. If you're somebody that doesn't continue to worry about it, then you should be able to take your mask off. The numbers are way down and we need to get back into the what 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 we have to start living. How long can people yeah. the, the, I think that's the pushback and the frustration and I think it's starting to cause a lot of mental strife in people that doesn't need to be there. It's just like come on governor. We're you know I don't get it. I, I just I, I just don't get it. I think I'm going to be sitting in a, a movie theater in 20 years. I'll be 82 at that point, but I'll be watching this documentary and going, oh, my gosh, really? Oh, my gosh. No, I, I think we're going to look back with a lot of questions as to how we handled this. And hopefully we can uh, think enough about it that if we ever face something like this again, we can respond in, in a more pragmatic way. I, I think the, the good thing about the way um, the vaccines were rolled out was that we did get those that were more susceptible to potential terminal death from the virus. We got those folks protected first, right? right. So we, we attacked lowering the death rate. And I think that was the absolute right thing to do. We got the elderly and the people with underlying condition vaccinated. We got them through a process and literally we saw the death rate just plummet, which was fantastic. We've seen the infection rate kind of move around and the hospitalization rate kind of move around. But when people stopped dying, we really were getting to a good spot. And now in fairness, Rick, I think to your point, we need to start living. Right. And Tanner's putting up some numbers here. So you guys, this is how you can get involved in the um, which the, the legislation which ends to let the governor know what you're thinking. Tanner, if you have time, if you could throw up the one also for um, uh, House Bill 137-2, that would be awesome. So people could write in about that one as well. <laughs> I want that guy on my staff. <laughs> Tanner, if you get bored with, you know, the guys up there, you know, just whoa, whoa, whoa. Tanner's my staff, Rick. Yeah, yeah. I want to do, get him in here. Hey, buddy, thank you so much for doing this. And you guys share this on your page so other people can be a part of it. If you disagree with us, that's fine. If you make a comment, just try to show some kindness. You know, if you don't, I, you know, I, it's whatever. But we've got to get back to talking. And if you don't like what I'm saying or what, what uh, Daniel was talking about, and you have a different opinion for all sakes, please say your opinion, but don't, you don't have to slap somebody else in order to give your opinion. That's the new, that's the new way we do things. Let's go back and do it the old way where we respect open conversation. Daniel, thank you. Amen. Appreciate your time, man. It's nice meeting you. Likewise. Okay. Oh, so there we go. That's uh, kind of our topic. That was an interesting show. And I love being able to do that because I think we need to get more involved. And we can't do this kind of material without priority one heating and air conditioning and sponsors like that. That's what makes this all possible, you guys. So tomorrow we're going to be with any lab test now at the Long Timber Brewing over in Monroe. This is the Oak Hole Oak Hull Timber Company in Monroe. The family built this new brewery and they used all wood from their from their stuff. And they can they can cut the largest trees in the country at that mill. And it used to be up until a couple of years ago, it was a steam mill. And now it's it's a it's been upgraded that way. But the family started this restaurant, and you guys are gonna die when you see this. I have never I used to work at a lumberyard when I was a kid 
in college. I have, I've never seen vertical grain fir this big in beams. It's absolutely beautiful. And they're a long time historic family. So you're gonna really enjoy that. And then on Friday, we're with the Boy Scouts of America and they're out putting out flags on cemeteries and, and for veterans uh, for Memorial Day. So we'll be out talking to some of the kids about some of that kind of stuff. Um, if you guys have a story or something you think we need to know, send me a personal message. You can go to rick at rickdancer.com. That's my email, best way to get a hold of me. Uh, and again, I'm going to put up that thing one more time for priority one. Again, this is returnable cans and bottles, uh, pickup fundraiser for uh, Relay for Life here in Lane County. Uh, they do so much for that. And um, you guys can do that to help them. It's June 5th. And this is on my Facebook page, so you can find more out about that right there. All right. Well, we went a little long tonight, but you know what? It was a good topic, and we are now better informed than we were before, right? All right. Thanks again. Uh, also, Jake Pelroy and Tanner Lloyd for setting up all this and getting us going like this. Couldn't have done it without you. All right. Have a good night. That was a great show. Didn't you think? I thought so.